Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hello, everybody. This is Across the Pond, and I'm Shane Claiborne, the host. Uh, we, you know, we call it Across the Pond because we're over here in the United States, uh, and that's where we record. But we talk a lot about red letter Christianity, referring to the old Bibles that have the words of Jesus highlighted in red. Got a whole red letter Christian movement in the UK and several other countries. There's a lot of folks who want a Christianity that looks like Jesus again. And I'll have to tell you, it's been a busy month. I just got back from the border where friends of ours are organizing a cross the country border wall bike trip so it's like 3200 miles from california to florida and i sure didn't do all of that but i did over 100 miles of it and I, my uh my backside's a little sore but uh you know we're, we're trying to shine the light on the crisis on our border and the need for immigration reform we have um all kinds of stuff going on with partner groups like that. So follow us on social media, go to the website, redletterchristians.org and check it out. We had an execution uh, last night. And so uh, we've been trying to have virtual vigils during every execution that happens in the United States. And uh, I know a lot of you listening in other countries are, are just you know baffled by the fact that we still execute people um, and while there's fewer and fewer executions, fewer and fewer states that are executing, we do still have even the electric chair um, as a method of execution. And um, we're one of the few countries that's still doing that. Like uh, when it comes to executing people, the United States is almost always in the top five. And the company that we keep um, of, of executing countries are uh, China is number one, Iran and Iraq, Yemen, um, Saudi Arabia. Those are the countries that are not uh, uh, always known for human rights, but that's the company that we keep. So be praying for us as we try to stand up for life over here. Um, and, you know, we have guests on this show all the time, and we've got a great guest today. Uh, he's one of my best friends, and we wrote, I, I helped him write his best book, uh, which is Jesus for President, that we wrote together. We've talked about that before. He's, he's um, I think, one of the smartest people I know and one of the best theologians out there, and I'm not just trying to, like, um, uh, talk trash because he's here with me, but, you know, when I write my books, sometimes I'll run a chapter by Chris to make sure I got everything right. And we're going to stop the small talk today because Chris, you know, we, we had just had him on the show and he, he's been studying people that maybe a lot of us are not as familiar with, but we should be. And so we're going to talk about a couple of those people today. But first, let me welcome my good friend and my brother, Dr. Christopher Haw. Hey, buddy. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Shane. Yeah, man. And uh, you, I mean, you've been, tell me what classes you're teaching right now. Are you, like, you're, and, and tell people a little bit about what you're doing in the prison, because I think it's really interesting. 
Yeah, so and then we'll dive in. <laughs> yeah, I'm a theology professor, and I teach every semester two sections of a um, introduction to Christian theology course. And for me, I uniquely run it based off of um, organizing it around the triplet of societal evils that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. talked about, like racism, militarism, and materialism. And I ask, how does Christian theology intervene on those evils? Um, I add to it a fourth, the ecological crisis. So I teach that all the time. And um, I also teach a course called Peacemakers, where we study like everybody from Gandhi to King and Dorothy Day and others, and another one on science and the common good, because um, I have a, a, a wing of, of my thought and research that often deals with questions of science, evolution, and um, faith, and many other issues of the common good. And speaking of the common good, the prison initiative I'm starting is um, trying to create a degree program uh, from our university at a nearby prison. So I have now our first semester going on with, um, we have a physicist and English professor teaching our, um, we call them our, uh, they're over at a maximum security part of our campus, uh, whereas I teach more often on the minimum security campus here, so to speak. Um, but anyway, it's a great program and I'm very excited about folks who are doing that type of work in prison. So good. And we'll be, we'll be praying with you on that and hearing some updates here and there. The, the work in the prisons is, is we've got other friends, Jonathan Wilson, Hartgrove and schools like David Lipscomb and others that have these prison programs. And they're proven to be one of the, I mean, not just life-giving and good for everybody, but they're also very effective in, uh, you know, the studies that show that it, it uh, one of the best things that you can do to stop recidivism, you know, returning to prison um, is, is having this kind of like study together. So, and it's one of the least funded things. And I, you know, I kind of think of Tony uh, Campolo, who's our, you know, been the co-host here for so many years. He, he said, sometimes in the church, we got to remember that J Jesus is not saying to folks in the prison, come find the church, but saying to us, you know, go into the world, you're going to need to go and take initiative on this. And so you're doing it. I don't know what kind of programs there are where, where you are, uh, wherever you're listening. From. Um, there are often people that have done a lot of work to pave the way. Chris is kind of doing that on his own, but it's not that hard to get involved in being a pen pal or being a part of these. Sometimes there's, there's um, classes where they're looking for volunteers to uh, help out with these classes inside the, the correctional facilities. So that's awesome. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about uh, Rene Girard a little bit. Um, I, I know you introed people to him before, but um, for folks that are not familiar with Rene Girard's ideas and his theology, and particularly why you think he's important for people to, to know, you know, right now, um, give, a, give a, little, a little brief version of it, and then we'll, we'll dive into some of his ideas. Yeah, so Rene Girard, who died back in 2015, was a theorist who tried to tie together an understanding of human psychology as being ultimately imitative, before it's ever rational that we are ultimately imitating one another and their desires. Um, and he uh, pushed that sort of observation into understanding the very origins of human culture, human evolution, the basis of society itself. And in discussing like the mysteries of why tribes and religions have like offered animal sacrifices and human sacrifices, 
and why they have believed in the gods and believed in sort of often mysterious taboos. He says, we can better understand where all of that comes from if we understand our imitative behavior. Mm-hmm. And at the underneath all of our religious behavior, he suggests is not just some innocent search for meaning or contemplating the infinite, but underneath human culture is murder and lies. And he says, this actually is something that was being brought to our attention in the Bible, actually. It's not just that the Bible is telling us things about God, but it's also telling us quite a lot about humanity. And that at the root of humanity, Jesus says is, uh, you know, that we've been murdering the prophets since Abel all the way up to Zechariah from A to Z. Uh, we have been sort of warped in our minds through what you might call the scapegoating mechanism that we've often been in our societies organized by a certain satanic order. And that satanic order um, in the book of John would have to do with the lies and murders that bring people together. Um, You know, like people are brought together in trying to stone the adulterous woman or they're brought together Pontius Pilate and Herod by um, lynching Jesus. Um, People are often drawn together in ways that in their own delusional imitation, they think makes the world better. But in fact, Christ is sort of uncovering those hidden mechanics. And Jesus says, I'm unveiling what's been hidden since the foundation of the world. And um, so as Christianity continues to preach um, Christ crucified, it is in a way saying that we are so sort of warped in that delusion of, of scapegoating that even if God were to show up among us, we would lynch her so to speak. So this is maybe a way of just reading first John or uh, the first chapter of John where the, the, the word of God showed up among us and we didn't recognize it. So anyway, yeah. so Gerard's theory is trying to help us interpret the gospels as an anthropology and understand our violence, understand our behavior. Yeah. And when, when you, uh, one of the images that, that uh, you offer, you know, is because there's a lot of folks that are doing work around nonviolent atonement, better ways of understanding why Jesus died. Cause there, there's some versions that I think, you know, give us little glimpses of the picture, all these metaphors we use and stuff, but there's some versions that sort of make it that, that God really needed blood, you know, mm-hmm. and instead of, uh, you know, shedding our blood, you know, Jesus was the, the, the lamb, right. The, the, yeah. That, that shed his blood, but you, you offer this idea of the photographic negative, uh, you know, say a little bit more about that, like a, a different way of kind of spinning this uh, to understand why Jesus died as a photographic negative. Yeah. So you could maybe say that if any of you from back in the 20th century have seen um, photo negatives where um, they are these little films that once you put them through an acid, uh, the whites turn to black and the blacks turn to white, like the photographic negative turns into its positive. You could maybe look at the Bible as taking the ancient, archaic, sacred views of God which are views of God that are oriented largely around offering a sacrifice of blood to the divinity um, that somebody has to die so that we don't all perish 
This is in a way the religion of Caiaphas who says it's better for one person to die than, than um, for us to all perish. Um, that is a view of God who is um, ambivalent. It's a God who is both threat and blessing, a God who is both evil and good, a God who is um, thunderously preparing to murder the evildoers, but will save them if we offer a sacrifice. Ancient Israel, in a way, originated just like all of the other ancient pagan religions. They worshiped many gods, they had a sacrificial system, they even offered human sacrifices. But Israel's suffering underneath all of the empires was like an acid that started to basically develop that notion of the archaic ambivalent God, the God of the sacred, and developed it into a God that is holy. And the image of that holy God, by holy I mean is unlike anything that we are familiar with, Un unlike all of our normal understandings of the divine. As first John says, this is a notion of the divine in which there is no darkness, in which God is complete and pure unconditional love, like Jesus says, Think of the father as like the sun and the rain that unconditionally waters the crops of good and bad alike. And you too should imitate the father in that love. And so when Christians came to regard Jesus's expression of love as being so pure, so intense that we couldn't handle it and we killed him, in a way, Christians, one of their metaphors was to say he was like a sacrifice. But to use that word is to use it in its negative now, or you might say the old versions are like a, a negative version and it's been turned into a positive use. So now we continue to use that word for people who in showing love, they may sacrifice, not others, but they're willing to sacrifice their own rivalry, their own status and are prepared to die for it. So we call mm -hmm. those like people martyrs. And Jesus, too, set that stage for a different kind of sacrifice where you're not thinking through that logic of Caiaphas, which is somebody has to die for us to live. But instead, um, it's much more like the way Martin Luther King Jr., when he was being threatened so much at the end of his life and people saying, hey, just chill out. Why don't you just recognize all lives matter and just like keep it quiet? And he, in a way, sacrificed for the advancement of civil rights. But that wasn't sacrificing others. It was him being prepared to endure the suffering that comes from doing what is right. Yeah. Well, hey, everybody, if you're just joining us, this is Across the Pond. I'm Shane Claiborne. And our guest this week is Dr. Chris Haw. Uh, and we, we've been talking about Rene Girard. We're going to pivot in just a minute to talk about someone else that's been uh, really influential on uh, some of the ideas of Chris's and, and so many others is James Allison. But, but before we do that, Chris, is there anything else, you know, you think about Rene Girard and you've done a lot of work on the origins of religion and human evolution. Is there anything else that uh, nuggets that we might be able to glean from Rene Girard uh, before we, we move on to Allison? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the most curious um, things that have come out of this is it's helped me think entirely different about um, 
when we try to imagine that, you know, it's taken us a few hundred thousand years to evolve into the people that we are and that we've been um, baked in all sorts of religions and gods and taboos and rituals, I think Gerard, what he does is he helps people interpret that long history and interpret how Christianity is not just a um, belief system in the afterlife, but it is, Christianity is also an anthropological reading of how humans, in the words of that doctrine of original sin, like humans were generated through you might even say through mistakes, you know, we, that's what we mean by original sin is that some of the errors at the foundations of our species, our errors in the way that we desire, that we sort of acquisitively desire so much that we are willing to kill mm-hmm. and live in the delusions of um, all of that type of rivalry, that what faith can offer is, is a way to step out of those ancient views of God and try to instead move toward a more um, redemptive notion of Christ, that he was not merely redeeming us by like, you know, making the gods happy by dying and shedding blood, but that we are invited to a new way of being human. And this is what Nietzsche really hated about Christianity, Hmm. but he was accurate about it. Friedrich Nietzsche hated that Christianity turned our attention away from just what he called the necessary sacrifices of life, that people just have to die off, that the poor, the lame, the crippled, we should allow them to die off because that's just natural selection. And instead, Christianity says, there is a different way to view nature. And that way of nature, as they sometimes call the Tao, the way of nature is this way of love. And Jesus is inviting us into a new way of being human. All of us, in a sense, have only been like pre-humans. And we're, there's, we're invited into a way to be fully human that only Christ was so far. So, um, yeah, I mean, overall, it's it's just a, been a great set of not just literature from Gerard, but dozens and dozens of scholars have built off of him, helping us understand um, faith, understand it, how it's not just some extrinsic belief in the afterlife, but it's about human anthropology as well. So good. So we're talking Rene Girard, and we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about James Allison. Now, we can't have Girard on the show, but maybe we'll have James Allison come sometime. But uh, you've done a lot of work with his uh, ideas. Uh, James Allison's book, The Joy of Being Wrong, um, is is uh, w- one of the best theology books you say that you've ever read. And, um, y- you know, you mentioned original sin. It's one of the ideas that he um, works with is, is that that doctrine can be really pessimistic and we can do better. So let's maybe start with it. <laughs> start in the garden, man, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah, I find that among many Christians, they, they view original sin as a very negative doctrine. Um, but in fact, I think what both Gerard and Allison are noting is that to recognize that certain errors have been a part of our human evolution is in fact to, to recognize 
from the lens of Christ that, in fact, what we had thought was a normal way of being human was mistaken. And that there are different ways to live in the world. And even our reason has been corrupted by sin. Even our um, societies and even our bodies have been uh, not born just as blank slates, but we have in a way been born into a world that is societally structured with sins, like we call these structural evils or systemic evil or systemic racism. But it's also even passed down in our bodies. Like we are a species that um, sadly has like a scapegoat shaped hole in it, you might say. And um, we're always trying to fill that hole by finding our scapegoats. Um, this is curious when you realize that certain animal species, we've been doing research on them um, in like with mice. This was published in 2016. Uh, the Nature, the prominent Nature Journal, uh, noticed how mice are um, transmitted um, traumas from their parents. And in many ways, we have been transmitted many of the traumas and sins of those before us. And it was Christ who showed up in our blind spot to let us see that um, we don't see. This is a paradox of, of learning that we don't know um, and coming to see that um, much of what constitutes reason in our society is actually quite mad. So James Allison has really tried to um, emphasize that original sin is a way of, of getting away from that mythology that we are born as like blank slates and coming to see that um, there is a joy in knowing that we have been wrong and that there's another way to be. I keep thinking of that scene. I think it was from the mission, you know, where the, the, the like one of the cardinals or archbishops is like talking about original sin. He says, in all of your talk of original sin, you've forgotten original innocence, you know, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty decent. But, you know, I, I think as, as um, what I've read from James Allison, a lot of it that you've given me, um, he's talking really about a robust theology, not just reacting to culture wars and, you know, hot button issues, but he does, he's very creative, very, uh, you know, innovative in his theological ideas. And um, some of those are talking about sexuality, which is, is something that the church is um, a train wreck on, you know, and um, uh, maybe say just a little bit about how he navigates that. Um, and especially like how it might help us better navigate that in a church that's certainly not going to pin each other in a corner and agree on things. Yeah. Well, what's very interesting about his view is that most folks on the left who would hold to, let's say, an affirming of homosexuality position, he does not share their reasons for um, affirming and welcoming. Most folks on the left, I find, want to say Jesus was welcoming so we too should be welcoming. But this in a way um, short circuits thinking about one of the challenges, which is the church is always undergoing reflection on, well, yes, in one sense, anything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, as Paul said. And the church is always having to determine and think through, are there ways in, in which what we have thought of as taboo and wrong are there ways in which we can grow and learn that sometimes we have been mistaken? This is again, one of the things that comes out of original sin, which is that a lot of times our thoughts about what 
is true and natural has been distorted by our propensity for scapegoating. And so James says, I think the, the reason that the church um, should consider embracing um, the monogamous practice of um, same-sex same couples is that we are coming to find that it is um, beneficial. We definitely know that there are some ways that people should work against what feels natural to them. Like let's say if people were born with alcoholistic um, genetic inheritances, and we find that what is most life-giving for them is for them to fight those desires. But what we are coming to find is that when, um, th so this is observed not just through like scripture or traditions, but it's observed through looking at reality itself and saying, as um, we're coming to find a new way of, of people operating as in their same-sex attraction, working with that and not against it, that that can actually lead to a more flourishing life for them. So that's kind of the grounds. Yeah. Instead of just a sort of generic, why don't we all just like be welcoming and affirming? He wants to do that dir dirty work of saying natural law, you know, reflection on what is the true ways of, of flourishing as a human. And he thinks we, could, we should turn to that. Wow. Time flies, especially when you're with Chris Haw. Uh, we're out of time. I was going to ask you about all the uh, things happening in France, you know, in the church, just uh, the mm -hmm. discovering of all the abuse that's happened. But we'll, we'll have to do that in another. But let's all know that we're grieving um, the brokenness of the church while also, as Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. We're trying to be the change that we want to see in the church. And Chris Haw, who's been our guest, has practiced that from joining the Catholic Church at a time when a lot of people are leaving the Catholic Church. <laughs> and you can yes. read uh, more about his own story in uh, From Willow Creek to Sacred Heart. But we're out of time today. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about Chris and Red Letter Christians at redletterchristians.org. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.